Well, good morning. morning. We are so glad that you're here today. A great time in worship. And we are, I guess, the third message in a very short series, long on implication, called Mind Games. How our mind functions, how we think. And today, guys, if I can halfway get the Word of God out, I know this is a very impactful message for a lot of us, a whole lot of us, perhaps all of us today. So imagine a guy who really saw himself as, and others saw him as, the rising star. Um, Imagine a rock star person in his world. Um, One who people would go, he's going to the top, he's going to the top. Then fast forward just, oh, maybe perhaps a year, and all of a sudden this same person who saw all the success now sees that very same success as his greatest regret, his greatest failure. And then fast forward perhaps 12 or 14 years and see the same man who once knew popularity and power and prestige now with a life filled with pain. That man is Saul. That man is the Apostle Paul. Saul as a zealot, Saul as a Pharisee, um, so hated Jesus, this, this one who was crucified and rumored to resurrect it. He so hated people who followed the way that he made it his business to see them imprisoned, put in, uh, put in jail, and also even killed. In fact, the, the Bible tells us that one day that they took uh, Stephen, the first martyr, a young man who preached the word of God, and as the stones were cast at Stephen, a man named Saul was holding the coats of the ones that cast the stones. And then one day, radically, on a way to capture other Christians, this man named Saul met the Lord Jesus Christ. And was radically, radically, radically changed. In fact, he became not, he moved from being a Jesus hater to a Jesus lover. In fact, he went from wanting to kill the ones who followed the way, who followed Jesus, to being one who wanted to be them and love them, fellowship with them, and help them. And later on in life, the same ones who said, you're a rising star, sought to kill him. In fact, he was shipwrecked, he was beat, he was stoned, you name it, and it happened to Saul, whose later, later his name became Paul. So what do you do when you have a past? What do you do when your greatest success now becomes your greatest regret? What do you do when when you have popularity and power and now the very ones, the very ones who used to praise you now cause you pain and cause you hurt? Some of you have been there today. Some of you are there right now today. And God's word speaks in such a powerful way in helping us with this mental state of pain and regret and forgiveness. So today in Philippians chapter 3, we want to take a moment and look and see what God's word says about letting go. In Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 12, Paul writes a verse. And by the way, Philippians is a letter written to the church at Philippi. Its its central theme is joy, which is really ironic because of what I just said. It's ironic because when Paul is writing this letter, he's locked up in prison and and he's not too far from being beheaded for the cause of Christ. His life is coming to a pretty quick end. And so Paul says these words in verse number 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus had made me his own. Now, you may be wondering what is it and what is this? Do you see the words there? Let me read it again to you. Not that I have already obtained this, 
or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus had made, has made me his own. This and it are two things. Right? It's the same thing. And, and in verse number 10, Paul writes these words and says this, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. This man, Paul, who once hated Christ, who now loves Christ, this man who is a rock star now in the church, this man who's about to sacrifice his life for the cause of Christ, says, I have one goal, I have one passion, and that is to know Jesus Christ more. He wanted to get on an intimacy level with Jesus Christ deeper and deeper and deeper. And he plainly says, I, I've not got there. I've not got there. I, I've not already perfected this. And that's a lot of us, isn't it? As we journey with Jesus, we have to be honest and say, you know what? I've not got there. And that's crucial. That's crucial. Because if we're going to learn to let go of the past, if we're going to let go of the pain, let go of the regret, and, and learn to embrace forgiveness, we have to, we must learn that we're not there. That we've not arrived. I love what Paul said. Listen to what Paul says. This is 1 Timothy 1.15. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Here we have the guy who wrote a large chunk of the New Testament as he wrote these letters to various churches and, and to people. Then we see this man saying, let me tell you something. We're all sinners, but I consider myself to be the chief. Paul is acknowledging the fact that he's not arrived. And guys, that's hugely important. See, we have to remain teachable. We have to remain moldable. If we're going to let God make a difference in our lives, we're going to let his word impact us, we've got to remain teachable. There's a great danger. Often, the more we go to church, the longer we go to church, the more we think we somehow have arrived. And Paul shouts at us and says, No, 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 you've not arrived yet. Even I have to remain teachable. I have to remain Moldable. Now, I'm not sure mobile is a word, by the way, but I made it up. It's okay. Well, now, where did my little thing go? Here it is, down here. Several people have asked, what, what, what is this? And I said, one person I told this lunch because it's going to be a really long message. They didn't laugh. Um, so anyway, so what this is, it's a air-dry clay. Now, what makes this a unique air-dry clay is because about three and a half, four years ago... I use this as a sermon illustration. And that particular day, I opened it up earlier before the message. I pulled it out and showed how that you could take clay and mold it into some things that you wanted to make. So my initial thought was this morning, I would pull this clay out and I would mold it and make it and say, now if something happens, then this is the result. So I pulled the top off of the clay and I got this. Well, do you see what it is? It's clay. Rock solid. You want to know why? Because three and a half years ago, I popped open the seal. And even though I had the lid back on, enough air was going to get to this clay to cure it. And no longer is this something that I can shape and mold. That's the danger with us in our lives. If we're not careful, the longer we are Christians, the more we go to church, the more we do the God thing. If we're not careful, that becomes our hearts. We somehow reach the point where we think we know it all. 
We've been there. We've done that. Um, I don't need as much as God because God has molded and shaped me enough where I don't need him anymore. Dangerous, dangerous, dangerous. And we have to so remain moldable and teachable if the word of God is going to impact our lives. And that's what Paul is saying when he says, listen, not that I've already obtained this or am perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Paul is saying he is driven. He is driven to know Christ more. Now, get this, guys. We are so good at messing up being a Christ follower. Because what we would have a tendency to do is to say when, when Paul says, I press on, I am driven to, to make it my own. It would be for some kind of self-preservation, for some kind of self-edification in the sense that it makes me, it makes me so I can do it. Listen, we cannot be saved on our own. And we cannot live the Christian life on our own. He was driven, and he was driven, he was not driven from failure, he was not driven to success, he was driven to Jesus Christ. He was driven to know Christ deeper. Not, listen, not for the sake of knowledge. I mean, again, you go over to Africa, and if you take them food and don't tell them about Jesus, you end up with fatter Africans going to a Christless hell. And if we get all, if all we do is study, so many people like to study the word of God, get deeper, get deeper and deeper. And the concept of the word of God making a difference is so far from them. They know the word of God, but they don't let the, the power of the word of God get into their lives and change them. Listen, knowledge of the word of God will simply let you one day stand before Jesus and explain why you had wisdom, why you had knowledge and did not use it. Going to sleep in a garage does not make you a car. And coming to church does not make you necessarily a spiritually deep believer. We have got to let the word of God change us. Now, now this is so powerful. Paul says this. He says, but I press on to make my own. Why? Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. What drove Paul? What drove Paul was one day he met Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus and he never got over it. I don't know when you met Jesus. I don't know when he became a part of your life. I don't know where your journey as a Christ follower began. But the problem is too many believers have gotten over Jesus. He, he becomes an option to our lives. It's like, Charlie, we were talking about the Sabbath. About the need for a Sabbath rest in the life of the believer. And, and we've, we've so gotten away from that that if we do take a Sabbath, we somehow sense that we're failures or that we're lazy. We, listen, we needed Christ the day we got saved, but we need Christ every single moment of every single day. We need Christ. And if, if this, listen, this is such a powerful book. It's such a wonderful book. But if this book is going to make a difference now listen to me. If this book is going to make a difference, it has got to get from here to here. It is not enough that you are so brilliant in the word of God that you have all the brain knowledge. If it has not impacted your heart, again, you may be smart, but it won't be a life change for you. 
And I see that so often in, in believers and in, in, in folks uh, that follow Christ that we, that we gauge our spirituality, the ability for God to change our lives. We, we gauge that on how much we know about the Word of God. Let it impact your life. Now, particularly with what Paul says next. What Paul says next is that he gives us the, this wonderful, wonderful truth and even tells us how to flesh it out. So my question first off is this. Are you teachable today? Are you teachable? In regards to who the speaker is, every time we gather in a group like this or in, in circles back in the classrooms, are, are we there to glean something so to comply to our lives? Or are we there just to gain more knowledge? So let's assume today that we are teachable. That we, unlike the clay that I pulled out, is soft and pliable. And today we're saying, God, impact our lives in a certain area. Well, here's what Paul says. In verse number 13, the first part, he says this. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. He just reiterates what he just said. He goes, now, I want you to really understand this. It's not, it's not me doing anything. It's Christ. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. He says, there's a priority in my life. And the priority that I have is forgetting what lies behind. If you're taking notes, write down these three words. Beware the past. Beware the past. I wrote down three H words because I'm a preacher. First off this, you see the past can haunt us. I don't know about you. Again, you, know, you, may be, you may be a totally different animal than I am. But most of us in our past have regrets. Can I hear an amen? Sometimes, sometimes they're, they're little tiny regrets. And sometimes they're like these atomic bomb regrets. I mean, you did something that wrecked the lives, not only your life, but the lives of people. Perhaps the lives of people that you love the most. And that past can kind of come up and haunt us. And remember when, remember when, and remember when. Sometimes the past can hunt us. Some of you have things in your lives. We have things in our lives. And we feel hunted and fear, what if someone found out? What if someone found out that I'm not the mask I put on on Sundays? What if someone finds out that I'm not the mask that I put on at work? What if some students at the high school find out that the mask I put on, or worse than that, that Brother Brent finds out that the mask I put on at school is not the one I wear at church? What if? It can hunt you. And also, it can hinder you. See, some of you here today, there's something in your past, and it involved the word pain, You've been hurt. You've been wounded. Some of you very, very deeply. And it has hindered you because you are paralyzed. You, you can't get out of your mind the person who hurts you. And the pain is so deep, you cannot move. So Paul says, and again, I think he speaks from experience. He says, forget those things which lie behind. Forget the things that would hinder you. Forget the things that would haunt you. Forget the things that would hunt you down. And he wants to teach us how we can be set free. 
there, there are about three things I want to speak about. And they're really the same, basically the same things I said about Paul. First off, past successes. Past successes. So often, as people, and I'm going to say as believers, we go back to a time in our past when we were very, very successful. And we choose to live in that time of past. We see this in churches all the time. You, you, go, you go to a church and it seats 500 people and in the sanctuary there's 100. And you talk to people about the church and they'll go, I remember when. I remember when we ran this number. I remember when this happened. I remember that that man was pastor. I remember when this was going on at church. And when you hear those words coming from your mouth, I remember when my marriage was happy. I remember when, when we had a better relationship. I remember when. I remember when. And instead of acting on the present, you choose to relish the past. Those are red flags. Now, Paul, well, let me just read what Paul said about himself. This is found in Philippians chapter 3, verse 3. If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh. So Paul starts out by saying, so you think you've got a pedigree? You think that you've got a, a good past? You think you've got reason to boast? Let me tell you about my reason to boast. And speaking from a Jewish perspective, he says this. I was circumcised the eighth day, according to the law. I was of the stock of Israel. I was not a proselyte. I did not at one time become a Jew. I was born a Jew. Of the tribe of Benjamin. The very tribe that King Saul came from. A Hebrew of the Hebrews. You know, again, there's, there's Cubs fans, and then there are Cubs fans. You know, there are Notre Dame fans and Notre Dame fans. Well, Paul is saying that when it came down to being a Hebrew, he was not just a Hebrew, he was a very good Hebrew. And he says, concerning the law, a Pharisee. One who kept the minute details of the law. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church. I was the one, he would say, in my days that seemed to be successful, I was the one who's tracking down people who followed the way. People who, who called themselves Christians and sought to have them locked up. I was so determined to eliminate Christians and Christ followers. Concerning the righteousness which is by the law, blameless. He said what a lot of us say. You want rule keeping? You have never seen a better rule keeper than me, Paul would say. Now here's the deal. Paul had to come to grips with his past success. Because he had to let go of that righteousness to embrace the righteousness of Christ. You can't have it both ways. See, this, I would call this a grace buster. It's a grace buster. You know, the Bible teaches us that grace is God's unmerited favor, that we are saved by grace. But only that, that we live by grace. We don't get saved by grace and all of a sudden throw works in it and see if I can earn God's favor that way or earn, earn God's smile that way. We're saved by grace and we live by grace. And if we're not careful, we'll start examining how well we do the things that Paul talked about. And we'll turn that into grace-busting self-righteousness. And you know what? 
It's a bust. It's a bust. So Paul had to come to grips with his success. May I make a suggestion today? That there might be people in this room who need to come to grips with your success spiritually. Because see, when we think, when we think we are, we, 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 do you get the word there? We are successful spiritually, we become rock chuckers. We put on our black robes and sit behind a big desk and chair and judge our brothers and sisters. Because after all, we're good and you are not. So Paul had to come to grips with that. So Perhaps you're here today and you are living in a past success or a present success. What do you do with that? Well, Paul tells us. He says, verse 7, But what things were gained to me, the fact that I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, that certain zeal I persecuted the church, that I was circumcised the eighth day, that I wasn't proselyted in the faith, that I was born in the faith, all those things, those things that were gained to me, these I counted loss for Christ. Yet, indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, count them as garbage, that I may gain Christ. Listen, the key to dealing with success is acknowledging you have none. The key to dealing with success is acknowledging that it's not you in the first place. It's God. It's just God. Now imagine that applied in a church. Imagine that applied in a marriage. You know, you get up in the morning and, and you say, I'm the one who carries the weight in the, wed- in the marriage. I'm the one who earns the money. I'm the one, I'm the one, I'm the one. And you, well, you have babies. Or if it's the woman who says, I'm the success, I'm the success. You, sir, you're just optional. Lead? You can't even spell lead. It's me. And Paul says, we've got to be willing to let those things go. Are you willing today, if you relish success in the past or you relish success right now, are you willing to let that go? For the sake of knowing Christ in a deeper and more real way. It is a game changer. And somewhere floating around in my head is this thought that was not in the note sheet. It's liberating. Because if you're talking about current success, and Charlie, this probably ties in also with our new, we're so excited about our new Sunday School lesson series called Breathe. You know, finding time, space, and margin in today's busy world. When you start understanding that I do not have to perform to gain God's favor, that's liberating. That God's going to love me. Listen, tomorrow morning, no matter how well this message goes or how bad it stinks, when I stand at that back door, whether you say it's good or bad does not matter, my Father loves me anyway. No matter how tomorrow goes, my father's love is not going to change. How liberating when we don't feel like we have to succeed and gain God's favor. But we rest in what God has already done. Now, the most common one, of course, is not success. 
It's failure. In this room, there are all of us, but some of us do have some pretty good failures in our past. In fact, I'll be really encouraging to you. I challenge you. Get out the book, the Bible, and start looking at the lives of those recorded within its pages. And not just the really, like, evil kings that we find in 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, 1 Kings and 2 Kings. Almost every major biblical character had some pretty large failures going on in their lives. It is us. It is we who have somehow created a culture where we're not allowed to fail. In fact, I tell you what, the crazy part is, and I don't understand this if you look at it in the view of grace, I don't get it, but let me just tell you something. Amazingly, the church is the worst place for failures. Because we will stone you to death. We will look at you and say, we knew you were going to fail. We just didn't know how soon or how. But we knew you would. Isn't that crazy for people who have experienced grace? Isn't it amazing that whoever you are today and what title you have, the house you live in, the car you drive, it's all because of God's amazing grace? Pretty crazy. Pretty amazing. So if there's this, if there's this atomic bomb in your past, or maybe just a hand grenade, or perhaps a BB gun, regardless of the failure, what do you do? With that. Well, first thing you do is repent. I know that wasn't too profound, but it really is. It goes like this. Normally, when a failure occurs in our lives, well, first off, we want to call it what? A mistake. I made a mistake. No, see, we are not mistakers, we are sinners. We're, we're, we're sinners. And so what we have to do, what we need to do, what we just got to do is come to grips and quit telling God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And tell God, I repent. If you find yourself going back to God over and over and over and over again with the same sin and just keep saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, you might want to try repentance. Because repentance means to be going in one direction to turn around. Repentance means to have a change of attitude. And again, repentance applying to spiritual things, a change of attitude about sin, a change of attitude about habits, a change of attitude about things that we do. So the first thing to dealing with a mistake in your past is make sure you have repented. To make sure. Again, everybody, have anybody here heard of David and Bathsheba? Remember them? Did you notice there wasn't Bathsheba the sequel? Bathsheba deja vu? There wasn't. David obviously fell into sin. And David sinned after that. But there wasn't another Bathsheba. There wasn't another killing of the husband, Uriah the Hittite. That's a pretty good picture of repentance. I'm glad, listen. You, oh, listen, new, new favorite verse. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And he delights, he, God, delights in his way. And if he fall, that's me, God, I will not be utterly cast down because he upholds me with a strong arm. 
I'm glad if I do repent. And a week later, three weeks later, a year later, I go, God, it's me again. And God, I turn from it. I'm glad he's there with his grace. Amen? It's cool. So you've got to repent. Secondly, you've got to seek forgiveness. You've got to seek forgiveness. And number one is with God. So when you turn from your sin, and they're linked together, obviously, when you turn from your sin, then you don't tell God you're sorry. You appeal to his grace and to his mercy and say, God, please forgive me of this trespass, of this sin that I have done. And you know what you're going to find? Grace. You're going to find forgiveness. That's that's another of these. There's so many things that are just crazy to me. It's amazing to me that when I go to God and I have turned from my sin and I appeal to his grace and mercy and ask forgiveness, he does. He does. You know, I happen to know the guy who owns a restaurant. He's a friend of mine. But if I went in tomorrow and said, hey, JB, Got a little pecan pie action going on. He might say, Preacher, you are so crazy about that. I tell you, sure. You, here, let me, you, want me, you want to eat it here or you want to put it in a, a little container? I say, Take it with me, baby. Let's eat it right now. So then I go back Tuesday. JB, baby. Got a little pecan pie action going on. He goes, Didn't we do this yesterday? Uh, sure, preach. Hey, you're my pastor. It's Pastor Appreciation Month. Let me hook you up. You want to eat it here or you want to take it with you? Let's take this one home. Judy's gone for the day and she'll never know anyway. <laughs> we go back day three. I say, hey, JB. And he goes, now, wait a minute, preacher. You're eating into the poorhouse here. Eventually, he might just say, no. I'm glad with God's mercy and grace... When I truly ask, in repentance, there's never a no. Isn't that powerful? Isn't that, yeah, it's good to know. So you guys seek forgiveness from God. Now, it gets harder. You need to seek forgiveness from the person. If, if there was a person you wounded, you need to go to that person and seek forgiveness. If you, in the process of your atomic bomb or your hand grenade or your BB gun, if it involved pain in another person's life, you need to go to that person and ask for their forgiveness. And again, how that turns out, I don't know. Because sometimes, because people are wounded so deep, they may say, I'm sorry, I just can't. But here's the deal. You're asking forgiveness based on the word of God if it turns out wrong. Okay, even if they choose not to forgive you, you have been obedient to the word of God. And that's what matters. Now, there's one more person that you got to get forgiveness from. And that's you. There are way, and too often in my life, there are way too many believers who walk around in unmerited guilt. Because we can't forgive ourselves. Now, I know there are people who won't let you forget. I know the accuser whispers in your ear and says, how can you ask for forgiveness? And we don't forgive ourselves. But if we want to be free, we we need God's grace and mercy forgiveness. We need to at least seek the forgiveness of the person we wounded and hurt. And you've got to be willing to forgive 
yourself. Hey, not trying to be funny. You got to let it go. You've got to let it go. You've got to, you've got to be willing to live in grace. You know, give me about two minutes. I was real slow to get on this grace bandwagon. You know, there, there's a, I guess they call it the reform movement or something where grace and grace, I always believe in grace. Grace and grace and grace. You know, it's like your sermon's got to have 38 mentions of grace. But then it dawned on me. I didn't really understand it. Because I lived, I lived in a lifestyle that God was up there in heaven just frowning at me. He didn't like me. He said, I've got to let you into heaven because you trusted Jesus. But I wish you weren't going. Um, I just don't want to, you know, I know. You, you, I, and that's how I lived. And then one day it really dawned on me that I am saved by grace and I live by grace. And it's not me trying to earn God's smile. It's not me trying to earn God's favor. I live in God's grace. And that is so liberating. All of a sudden I got free from rule keeping. I may even learn to get free from your approval. Because there's a father who approves of me even if you don't. I've even learned to get free from the approval of the mirror. I look in the mirror and go, I don't like that. But hey, I'm learning. And you know what? Grace living is amazing. It's amazing. So, so, so live in grace. Now listen carefully. I'm fixing to say something pretty profound. And refuse the shackles. Yeah, write that down. Refuse the the shackles. What do you mean shackles, Dwayne? When that stinking, lying, deceptive devil comes along and whispers in your ear and you call yourself a Christian, how can you accuse, accuse, accuse? Anybody experience that? I don't suppose you all have time to go to hell. But remind him he's going. Refuse the shackles of the evil one when he comes with his negative, accusing voice. Say, no, Satan, I am saved by grace. I am forgiven by grace. No, Satan. And when some of our perhaps well-meaning Believers want to cast the rocks at you when it's been dealt with, when there's repentance and forgiveness. Simply refuse the shackles. And say again, I checked with God and he said, his opinion matters, not yours. Listen to this. This is the continuing verse of what Paul said, I'm the chief of sinners. However, he says, for this reason, I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Let me break that down for you. Paul said, I experienced grace 
that I could teach grace. Let me read again. Let me read the first part again. For this reason, I obtained mercy. Why, Paul? That in me, first Jesus Christ might show all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe in him for everlasting life. I guess Paul's saying this. If God can forgive me, he can forgive you. And you know what the power of failure and for, repentance and forgiveness is? One day you'll get the chance to share. And there'll be someone who will need to know that even though you've messed up, they've messed up big time, that if God forgave you, he can forgive them. Isn't that cool? Isn't that powerful? All right, we've got to move on. The last one is this. We had success. We had failure. And now we've got pain. And, and Paul, again, speaking, says, forgetting those saints which are behind. This is the hardest one. There are people in this room, and you've been wounded, and you've been hurt. Somewhere in your world, in your past, in your present, there's someone who has hurt you or is hurting you. What in the world do you do with that? What do you do when there's a father, there's a mother, there's a husband, there's a wife, there's a, there's a parent, there's a friend, there's a colleague, and they have wounded you perhaps deeply. And the Word of God teaches that when we've been wounded and we've been hurt perhaps deeply, that we are to forgive. Now I've said this before. And, but I want you to hear it again. And it's not original to me obviously. The word teaches it. Great men of God teach it. Forgiveness. Is not for the other person. It's for you. It's for you. The reason God's word says. That you need to forgive. Is for your benefit. Not theirs. That's why whether they deserve forgiveness is not even in the, in the picture. Th that's why they don't even need to come say, I'm sorry, in order to forgive. Because that's not in the picture. Because forgiveness is for you. You know, you ever have one of those aha moments with the Word of God? I had an aha moment. I, I've taught this many times. Let me read it to you. So Peter came to Jesus... This is Matthew 18, 21. And Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Lord, how many times shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. So when Peter says, which is, again, the... the you know, the, the rabbinical um, limit was seven. So, so should, should I go more than that? Jesus said, yeah, seven times 70 or 490 times or a unlimited times of forgiveness. Now, the true context of this is Jesus later on says, now listen, if you don't forgive your brother, God's not going to forgive you. So there's no doubt the important teaching we're going to grab and take home is that we are obligated to forgive. But is it possible? That there's another reason? If truly, if truly forgiveness is about you and not the other person, 
Is it possible that in Jesus' teaching, he's always saying this, also saying this? You know, you need to forgive for your sake. Not just because you know, it's the right thing to do because God's forgiven you, but also as you forgive this other person, you're set free. I'm telling you guys, a lot of good people I know, your life is miserable because you're filled with bitterness because you can't forgive. The person who wronged you is in Florida, sitting on a beach, having a great life. And every day you wake up and you hate them. And you hate them. And you hate them. And you hate them. They're happy. And you're miserable. And God's got something better than that for you. Let it go. I know, listen. I'm just... I'm just... Listen. I'm just... I'm just a preacher. So please don't hear me saying... You are sexually molested by your father. Okay? And the wounds are so deep. Just let it go. Please don't hear that. I know there are levels of forgiveness that are more difficult. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. But I'm telling you, the, the freedom you need will be found when you can forgive. So, so what does it mean to forgive? Well, again, I'm trying to watch the clock because I know we have Lord's Supper today. Here's what forgiveness doesn't mean. And this was taken from, the I think, the Holman Commentary. Forgiveness doesn't mean excusing what someone did to you. Forgiveness doesn't mean forgetting what happened. Forgiveness forgiveness doesn't mean denying or stuffing your feelings. Forgiveness doesn't mean reconciling instantly every time. Forgiveness doesn't mean an instant restoration of trust. But it does mean... Embracing, reaching out to the offender. It means being proactive. You know, I know our cross is kind of back here, but you remember what Jesus said? He is beaten within an inch of his life. There's a crown of thorns on his head. Nails pierce his hands and his feet. The Roman soldiers are mocking him. The crowd is mocking him. And here's what The Savior of the universe says, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they do. Being proactive in forgiving because in doing that, it sets you free. Lastly, it means this. It means surrendering the right to get even. Romans chapter 12 is a great chapter on forgiveness. Write that down if you're if this is ringing a bell with you today. Write down Romans chapter 12. But here's what one of those verses says. You know, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. And so doing you heap coals of fire on his head. Because the word of God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. It's trusting God either here or later in the eternity. Take care of this. Take care of this. So if there's a great wound is still bleeding in your heart, not for the other person's sake, but for your sake. With God's help, with God's grace, forgive. Forgive. Listen to one of my favorite scriptures, Ephesians chapter 4. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, 
anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted. Here it is. Forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Let it go. Let it go. You may need counseling help. You may be, it may be require a prayer circle around you. It will be a process. I promise you, no matter what it is, it will be a process when one day you can forgive that person. But make it your high call. Make it your high goal to learn. And then real quickly, we weren't going to do the last part. Let me just read this last part of verse 13 and 14 with you. And Paul says, And straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. That's somewhere beyond success and failure and pain is a higher calling, a higher freedom, a higher Life. Perhaps that's where John 10.10, I've come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. Perhaps that's where it all comes in and ties together. The high calling of knowing Christ. So if you're here today, and here's our kind of our bottom line. If you're here today, and we didn't talk a lot about the cross today, but you certainly heard enough to understand that Jesus died. That we could have, through God's grace, and we turn from our sins... We could have forgiveness of our sins. We could have the promise and hope of eternity in a place called heaven instead of a Christless hell. Nothing we can do. It's not a call to, to be better, do better. It's a call to accept God's grace and forgiveness. My brother Brent's going to be standing down front here in just a moment. And that's what this church is striving to be about. This is not a club where good people come. It's a hospital where sick people come who need Jesus. And some of us have received him, and we're in that growing process. Some of you have not yet today, and we hope today is that day. We pray that. And and then a whole bunch of us. This one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. I'm not sure I said this, but it's crucially important, so I need to pause and say it now. Paul wasn't saying physically forget. That's not possible. What he was saying was, I refuse to let the past to control my present. I refuse to let my success be my pres- in the past to be my present story. I refuse to let my failure to be my present story. I refuse to let my pain in the past to be my present story. There's one thing I do, forgetting the past. Would you bow your heads right there? I hope, if there's ever a time when I hope the message was helpful, this is it. If there's ever a time I feel compelled to beg you to be teachable today, this is it. If there's ever a time that I feel compelled to, with urgency to embrace the Word of God, This is it. Not for the benefit of someone else, but for the benefit of a whole lot of people that I love dearly. If you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus, 
Those might be church words. I don't know. If you've never embraced the concept that, that you could be in a relationship and call God Father, my brother Brent would love to explain that to you today. Begin answering some questions today. And if there's anything we can do as far as a church family, Brent will be here, I'll be here, some deacons will be down front. If there's anything we can do to help you through this process of letting go, that's why we're here. Sometimes just having a friend to pray with you is what it takes. We would love for that to happen today. So God, I love you today. I really do. Thank you for amazing, wonderful grace. Teach us, God, that we have not arrived. I guess there's going to be one chief, but help us to get in line that's behind Paul today and understand that we've not arrived. We're not perfect. Father, help us to deal with our past. Call us as you have to live in a glorious presence of grace and forgiveness. <clears throat> Father, for my friend here today who's never experienced grace and forgiveness, oh, may today be that day. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen.